When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to Football Digest. England are through to the quarterfinals of the World Cup after beating Senegal on Sunday. A comprehensive 3-0 victory over the African champions. Now it's France and Kylian Mbappe lying in wait, the tournament's best player. Gareth Southgate's greatest test in any of the knockout matches that he's faced with England thus far. Jordan Henderson, Harry Kane, finally, and Bukayo Saka were on the score sheet for the three lines against the lines of Taranga, who without Sadio Mane and Idrissa Ganagay had no answer to the English quality on the night. Joining me, Peter Staunton and Anita Abayomi, to discuss the round of 16, as well as the upcoming quarterfinal matchups, are Andy Dunn and John Cross live from Doha. But before we go to the boys in Doha, uh, Anita, how was the box park last night? Yes, thank you for my little moment of stardom. I was at the Box Park, not Qatar, but Box Park, which was pretty great. Um, just so many England fans. And do you know what? The atmosphere was so up and downish. Everyone was excited going in. And then we saw kind of, was watching the France match and we saw how awful, literally, or devastating Kylian Mbappe was <laughs> against the opposition. And it was just kind of, it was a bittersweet because we're like, yeah, if England get through, we're going to play France. But then it's like, if England get through, we're going to play Kylian Mbappe and how do we stop him? So going into the match and the first half was not great. Let's say the first 40 minutes of the first half was just not great. Um, it did, we didn't look like we were going to score and Senegal, they were on fire and it just looked like they had a couple chance, they had a couple shots on target. And the crowd was really um, intense. I'll say that, I'll put it nicely, very intense. But then they warmed up after the first goal. After the second goal, I will tell you for free, I had to run away so I couldn't get beer thrown on my hair because, yeah, i got to look after my hair. I cannot, I cannot get frizzy hair after a match. So, yeah, the atmosphere was beautiful, though, Peter. Like, every time I go to Box Park, I'm just in awe of how much England fans are in love with their country and in, in love with the club. So, yeah, it was really great. Nothing compared to Qatar. I will tell you that for free, but it was amazing, Pete. But speaking of the atmosphere in Qatar, I'll pass it on to John and Andy, who everyone really wants to hear from. So, Andy, I'll come to you first. The atmosphere in Qatar, it must have been absolutely manic, once Harry, especially once Harry Kane scored. Uh, yeah, it, it was good. The atmosphere, is, the atmosphere was good. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the sort of atmosphere you get at um, what you might describe as normal World Cups because there aren't as many travelling fans. I mean, I mean, the, the, that's that's just a fact. You know, England have actually got quite a few, but not as many as they would normally have. Um, as a lot of local fans, the Senegalese um, were constantly um, noisy and on the drums throughout the whole game. So that made the atmosphere um, good. But obviously, yeah, it was really good. Um, I can imagine it was brilliant in Box Park. I mean, it was, it was, there was no beer being thrown in Qatar, let's put it that way. If you can get one, you don't throw it. But, I mean, <laughs> you really don't. So, yeah, no, it was good. And the atmosphere was created, of course, by that performance from 35 minutes onwards, wherever as well, from, from Jordan Henderson's goal 
onwards, the England players created the atmosphere. The atmosphere amongst themselves, you could see, was absolutely buoyant. And that's why it was so um, such a heartening performance, it, it, you know. And then after the game, you know, it's very rare you see the players in that sort of bullish mood. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great night all round. And I see they're now used to that stadium. You know, I, I like the fact, in a way, you know, I think John was saying previously about uh, the Albate Stadium, whether or not the conditions might might or, or might not be to England's liking. But the fact of the matter is now is that, the, you know, they're accustomed to it now. And, and in a way, I think probably it's a sort of minuscule advantage that they're playing there again on Saturday at the same time against the French. I do think that's a little bit of an advantage. So, yeah, an unbelievably positive night. Um, again, as the players stressed, as the bouncer stressed, you know, OK, enjoy that for a few hours and then turn your attentions to, um, you know, an epic showdown on Saturday. Yeah. Um, John, it, you know, uh, Andy spoke about the atmosphere there. Anita spoke about the atmosphere at the box park. Um, I know England eventually got over the line, but did it feel edgy for those first that first half an hour, that first 40 minutes? Did the players feel, you know, did it feel like things weren't going England's way, that they were tense on the field, that the plan wasn't coming together? Was there a bit of worry in the camp during that first half an hour, that 40 minutes before England made the breakthrough? Yeah, I, I thought England started really well. And um, first 10 minutes or so, I thought uh, Bellingham and, and Henderson were good in midfield. And then I don't know quite what happened. I think there was basically a couple of misplaced passes. Um, Walker got sort of kind of exposed down his side. Uh, uh, Maguire, for the first time, looked a little bit vulnerable in the tournament. It's had such an amazing tournament. Um, and, and it just set that nervous tone. And then Senegal had a couple of chances without a shadow of a doubt. They had one which was blazed over the bar. Pickford made a terrific save. And you're thinking, oh, don't know about this. And you had that constant, amazing drumbeat from this small pocket of Senegalese fans down on, on sort of kind of in the, in the bottom corner on our right, which was just amazing, by the way. Although I have to say, about the 80th minute, it did feel like, Oh, please give it a rest. But I just thought it was an amazing little snapshot of colour and noise. It was brilliant, absolutely brilliant kind of, you know, African feel in the jungle, really, uh, in the um, desert, I should say. It was just, a, it, you know, it just brought a lovely flavour and feel to the stadium, which I really, really enjoyed. And um, I just thought it was, you, you know, that was nice. But then I just thought the mark of England's quality, particularly Jude Bellingham, was to kind of really, um, you know, grab the game by the scruff of the neck and just take it and then really drive England forward. And really, I, I just thought he was immense in, in what he did in, in the sort of kind of the way that he sets up the first goal for Henderson. And even almost more impressively, he puts the game to bed just in first half injury time, frankly, by winning the ball on the edge of his own box, making this driving run through the centre of the pitch and then basically connecting with, with Foden, who then sets up Kane and, and, and the job is done. I just thought it was it was tremendous, really, um, in what Bellingham did. I thought he was man of the match by an absolute street. I, I, I thought that you know, Senegal were really, were difficult opponents and were proving really difficult. I loved it. I loved, I do love that, you know, I did enjoy their fans because I did think that it, unlike Andy, I thought it was a quite a nice World Cup feel last night. I thought that basically because you had the different, you know, different nature of it. I love to see, 
you know, that, that colour, that atmosphere, that vibe. I mean, they've come such a long way, you know, and, and you know, been through so much, all of the fans for, 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 for the different countries. I mean, England's fans were just astonishing in the, in the stadium. Imagine, imagine, you know, coming all the way to, to Doha, the expense that they, they have to do out their own pocket is just phenomenal. And that goes for the Senegalese fans as well. And I just thought it was just, you know, awe-inspiring. So I did, I did think, wow, you know, the fans have deserved that. The fans have, have really deserved those performances, I thought. It was great. It's a proper World Cup knockout tie, that, um, the sights and the sounds, as, uh, as you described. I want to get on to some of the individual performances in a moment, uh, Bellingham and, and Pickford in particular, you've picked out. Uh, but Andy, I wanted to come to you first. Um, watching from a distance and uh, being in numerous, you know, football-associated WhatsApp groups and whatnot, we noticed England making a change in the first half, and that came from from Jordan Pickford kicking the ball long, essentially, and and almost missing out that... that um, that first wave of, of of Senegalese press, or and making sure that the centre backs weren't getting put too much, getting put under too much pressure on the ball. Do you, did that feel like it was happening within the stadium um, that Pickford was designed to go long? And if so, was he doing it off his own bat, or was it something that was called from the sidelines? I suspect he was doing it off his own back. I mean, I have to say it wasn't. Uh, you know, overtly noticeable um, in the stadium, but I think it was a result of the fact that, as John has referenced before. I think um, with the shaky starts that Carl Walker and Harry Maguire in particular made, it was probably a result of that. I think Pickford is actually looking there and thinking, hang on a minute, like, you know, these guys are under a little bit of pressure now. You know, Maguire was lucky to get away with one particular sort of um, incident over in the far corner there from where we were, where he, he just about got away with it. Probably could have been called the foul against him. Walker certainly should have been booked at one point to me. I, I don't think England have had a booking yet. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, and, and Walker, Walker really struggled a bit. And I think, I think the Pickford is probably looking at that. And as good goalkeepers do, don't forget, he, he can hit a good. I mean, it sounds obvious to say, but he can hit a good long ball, Pickford. And I think he's looked at that and he's thought, well, actually, you know, these guys, you know, m- maybe need a little bit of a breather. And I don't want to put them under any more pressure when they're already feeling under pressure. And they were feeling under pressure. I thought John Stones wasn't foot perfect either. I mean, we'll come on to like what what might happen if if that sort of a first half hour performance um, reappears against France. Then it'll be a different story, won't it? It won't be Ismail Assar blazing over the bar and giving Pickford the chance to make a save. It'll be in the back of the net. So that's something they have to concern. But no, in answer to your question, I do think that there was a change, and I just think it was literally because they were feeling a little bit under pressure. There was two sorts of um, attacks that Senegal had there to threaten the goal. And I just think also, it's also natural. I mean, despite the fact that he plays in Manchester City, I think he's thinking, well, like, you know, we're going to play it across the back to Kyle Walker. He's a bit rusty. Is his distribution going to be great? So I think he's just thought on the hoof and he's thought, well, Pickford, you know, and and obviously he deserves the credit for that. Well, that one save that he made that was, that was quite crucial. Keeping it strictly on Pickford, John, I'll come to you. Like Andy said, he made some crucial saves and his decision-making just seemed to have been on point. And at one point, fans were calling for Pickford to be dropped dropped to the bench and Aaron Ramsdale to take over, etc. But Pickford, this entire tournament, it just seems to be proving himself more and more that he belongs to this England side and he doesn't need to be dropped for anyone else. No, I, t- I totally agree with you, Anita. I mean, blimey, I do think it's probably the loud, vociferous Arsenal fans doing that on social media, to be honest. Because <laughs> honestly, I just think when Jordan Pickford gets into a tournament, he just never lets England down. 
you know, that save, left-handed save, you know, reflex save was sensational, absolutely sensational. It kind of looked, you know, sort of almost simplistic, but it, the reflexes were, were just spot on. And, yeah, it, I do think he did sort of kind of maybe set set the kind of nerves, you know, going a little bit simply because of his his longer balls out when he's sort of kind of, they want to play it a little bit shorter. But I do think part of that issue was that Senegal were pressing really well. And I do think that Senegal, we, we need to give them credit. And I think that they were, you know, really good, I think, at times. Um, I think it was just, it was, you know, it was a 10-minute spell at the start of the game when England could have really you know, taking taking the game to them. They didn't. And I just thought then Senegal settled much better. And then England just had this nervous spell. And I just think at, at the back, you know, Pickford gives them a layer of security and a layer of really, um, you, you know, confidence that you know that he's going to be there to, to, to make saves, to, to, you know, to do things. I mean, it's funny, I, I sort of kind of shed a lift back with another colleague last night from the game and we were talking and saying, would you rather have Pickford in goal or Lloris in goal? Now, I'm a massive Hugo Lloris fan. I think he basically sometimes comes in for a bit of criticism that is is unwarranted. World Cup winning goalkeeper, still at the top of his trade in the Premier League. Um, But really, in a penalty shootout, I just feel as if Pickford, you know, I I just think he, he, he can really make a difference he can you know his agility his confidence and I do think he's he's obviously on the back of what happened you know in against Colombia four years ago Loris world-class goalkeeper but really it should be Loris head and shoulders above a, a Pickford but I actually think that, that you know it's going to be incredibly tight between the two of them I think it's a great point Anita I just think that Pickford really does you know give this security to the England defence, which is welcome when they have dodgy spells like they did last night. I tell you, one thing that Pickford epitomises to me is like I've been really impressed on a collective level with this England team during this tournament because, you know, I actually felt throughout 2022 they're on a hiding to nothing. Uh, the result against Hungary, um, hadn't won a match, Kane wasn't scoring goals and I just thought they're at the end of a cycle. But Pickford individually and England collectively, they've just picked up so, so well uh, in this tournament. They look like they haven't missed a beat. Um, I've been very, very impressed. But um, I want to—I do want to pick out another individual, though, uh, Andy. I want to come to you on on Jude Bellingham uh, quickly. Uh, so he moved from the Championship to the Bundesliga in in 2020, and obviously he's been playing in the Champions League. But for most of you know obser- observers who watch the Premier League every week, this is sort of the first that they've seen Jude Bellingham over 90 minutes on a regular basis. He's been described as as the best midfielder in the world in waiting last night by by Phil Foden. Uh, winning widespread praise from inside the camp and outside. I'm thinking about Kylian Mbappe in 2018 when he was still a teenager. And that was sort of the moment that he arrived uh, for a lot of people. Is it too much to say that something similar has happened with Jude Bellingham at this World Cup? Yeah, it is too much. Um, Listen, I I, I wrote... A lot about him last night, sort of John, and he's and he's been obviously showered. In fact, it's come to he's been showered with so much praise that you know it is coming to the stage now where actually someone needs to put the foot on the ball and say, well, hang on a minute, like you know um, his performances. Listen, he was part of England's performances which weren't great leading into this World Cup. Let's not forget that. You know, the Bellingham Rice partnership is Lord that is one of the the best in sliced bread, and actually they were part of a team you know that, that weren't playing particularly well at the time. Um, it was a fantastic performance last night, and it was a very good performance that, that he put in in um, in a couple of the group stage games. 
listen, you know, he's a, he's a fantastic talent, but you know, we can't we we can't fall into the trap of saying he's the you know the best in the world. This whatever I think there's a couple of Spanish players who might teenagers who might um, who might have something to say about that. So let's. I'm see taking Bellingham over Pedri and Gavi any day of the week. Well, you I might promise you. you. But, but you probably see more of Bellingham than you do of those two. You know, I certainly do. I I, I make no bones of the fact that I don't see what I've seen of, of Pedri and Gavi. I'm hugely, hugely impressed, but I haven't seen enough of them. I've seen more of Bellingham, and I've read more about Bellingham, and I've listened about more about Bellingham, which we're going to do. It's only natural we do it. You know, it, it was a fantastic performance last night from Bellingham. I mean, I mean, a really, really good performance against Senegal. You know, so, so yes, I mean, in, in answer to your question, yeah, he, he, he's a fantastic talent. I mean, he's a fantastic talent. But, you know, a broader, I, I mean, I, I want to see, you know, listen, Saturday will be a supreme test against a supreme midfield. Let's let's, let's face it, France aren't just Mbappe. You know, their midfield is superb. Let's see then how he does. I mean, you know, I just think there is an element of, well, he he's the best. You know, I mean, I was reading, it's like there's some stats go around, you know, and and, and this is the, the BBC's website. We're, we're promoting the stat that he was like the youngest ever player since records began to have an assist in a knockout stage. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I mean, I mean really? I mean, I mean, are these sorts of things, you know, I mean, Pelle was 17 when he scored a hat-trick in a World Cup semi-final. He then went on to score two in the final. He was 17. You know, we just need to just put our foot on the ball in terms of getting carried away about him being one of the, you know, the, the world's best. He is. He's obviously in the world's top, you know, half a dozen um, young talents out there. Absolutely no doubt about it. But let's just like, you know, give the lad... Um, let him just get on with developing. You know, I mean, I mean, if you really want to be devil's advocate, maybe it's time to sort of think, well, well, okay, how can he improve? How is he going to improve as he gets older? I'd like to see him have more of a goal threat. He's played 21 times for England as an attacking midfielder, essentially, and got one goal. You know, I would like to see, I would like to see that improve. So I just think it's time for a little bit of calm on the Bellingham bandwagon, to be perfectly honest here. Uh, the handbrake, as guys, we like to say, Gareth, put it on the Bellingham bandwagon, mate. John, I know you're going to want to jump across this. We violently disagree about this. I mean, I have to say, Jude Bellingham, for me, is a generational talent. Been raving about him for, for a long time. I'm sorry, but it's not a flash in the pan, as Andy seems to be alluding to, when you are dominating. When you are dominating week in, week out in the Champions League as a teenager. He basically sits in there in midfield and runs the show. And he does it week in, week out. He's a phenomenal player. He's so exciting. He's so intelligent on the pitch. He's just one that gets you off of, of the seat. You know, they found him a different role in that basically it did feel like he was sort of kind of against uh, Iran. They basically played him a deeper role bursting forward. Didn't quite work against the United States. So they think that highly of him that they tailor the team basically to him to allow him to kind of get forward and break forward a bit more. And I just thought it was just, it's just this stroke of tactical genius on that front. There's no doubt in my mind that he will be a world-class player. He will be a future England captain. His maturity on and off the pitch is unparalleled. He's the most exciting player I've seen in a long time. We used to talk about Wayne Rooney as a generational talent. That's where this guy belongs. But because he's almost a central midfield player, oh, we don't see it. Honestly, shades of Gaza for me, Italian 90. I thought he was just phenomenal in the in the stuff that he does. He's so brave. He's so strong. He's just 
determined to do things outrageous fashion, showing great audacity, showing great, you know, movement, intelligence, drive, determination. He has got the lot. And I just think we are, we should be celebrating the fact. I don't care about kind of trying to sort of kind of keep a lid on it, not hyping him up. Why not enjoy an absolute sensation of a player and a wonderful, you know, young individual as well who's clearly loving the moment. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited, you might tell about this, because he is the guy that kind of has got this momentum that can drive England forward throughout the rest of the tournament, in my view. If England are going to go a long way, it'll be down to, I think, Jude Bellingham. I mean, imagine when he wins something. Way. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Honestly, get you a man or woman that talks about you the same way John talks about Jude Bellingham because that was absolutely amazing. <laughs> But it needs him. It doesn't need Bellingham. Bellingham doesn't even need people like John to speak for him because his performances just they just speak for themselves. You know, there was moments last night where it looked like Kevin De Bruyne in his prime, particularly when he set up that goal. I think it was the Kane goal, the way he strode from winning the ball from the Senegal midfielder and taking the ball forward. I thought that's just like what De Bruyne would do. You know, I was just so, so impressed with all facets of his game. And not just, you know, at this tournament where it's a run of one or two matches, but just his overall development over the last couple of years. I'm just thinking there's there's really, you know, people talk about ceilings for, for players and how high they can go. I just don't see one for Bellingham. That's such a bold statement, Andy. You took your mic off. You've got something to say about that. No, no. I, I mean, this. I, I'm, I'm not in any in any way of underestimating his performance. I just think there's a danger, you know, that you you, you go over the top about him. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, he, he was absolutely fantastic, Peter, as you say, for that for that second goal in particular. But then we ignore the brilliant first touch ball from Foden that actually set Kane up um, perfectly for the goal. I mean, we'll say about Bellingham's. Um, um, ball for the first goal, for example, brilliance, you know, but it was a fantastic ball from Harry Kane initially to set Bellingham free. And it was a wonderful finish from Jordan Henderson. First time finish from Jordan Henderson. Um, getting into position where Bellingham himself maybe should be some, more often, being more of a goal threat. You know, you've got to be a little bit more constructive about about the analysis of, of Bellingham rather than just like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll angle him and this guy's fantastic. As I say, you know, he, he, he's developing quite well. I... I'll be honest, I don't see enough of him for Brushy Dortmund week in, week out. Oh, cards on the table, I don't see enough of him to make that judgment at the moment. I, re- I really don't. So I've seen him for England and I've seen him have very good games against teams that we should be beating. Let's put it that way. I've seen him have a good game against Iran, a good game against Senegal. We should be beating those teams. He should be shining. But Kai Saka shone in those games. Phil Foden shone in last night's game and in the previous game. That's fine. I, I see all that. Let's see against France. Does anyone have any last minute 
remarks. No, you got you sure? You sure, Don? See you shaking your head, holding back a little bit. You sure? <laughs> no, honestly, he he is a remarkable player. I do side with both of you on this on this debate. I do think he's remarkable, and his ceiling is God knows where his ceiling is. But take some time, calm down. Take some time. I'm sure he will get to that point where we can say unanimously that, yeah, this is a world-class player and probably going to come in the next couple of years. But moving on, let's talk a little bit about Gareth Southgate, right? So Paul Hayward, um, one of the football journalists, has said that England have won six knockout games in major tournaments from 1968 to 2016. Gareth Southgate has won six knockout knockout face tournaments in from 2018 to 2022. Now, for me, that is an absolutely, absolutely incredible record. And I would have never actually guessed that England only got um, only won um, six of their knockout games since 1968-2016. I would have thought that is absolutely impossible, given the fact that we've had incredible teams since then. But it looks like Gareth Southgate, John, is getting a lot of things right with this England team. And maybe he's a little bit underrated at the moment. Yeah, Anita, we've, we're falling back in love with Gareth Southgate, aren't we? I mean, the songs, you know, coming from the sort of the travelling fans, you know, Southgate, you're the one, and basically an appreciation, again, of, of the manager, you know. If they kind, of, you know, if they kind of had a bit of a falling out of love, a bit of a bit of a parting of the ways, bit of a, you know, bit of a bit of a lovers' tiff, basically in, like in a the summer relationship. Oh yeah, but it's back on track. It's back on track. It, they, they, you know, they've fallen back in love with him in the desert, basically. I think it's it's. Uh, I just think tournament football. There's something that happens about the England team and the players, and they put this sort of kind of tournament heads on. And I think, I do feel as if like Southgate is probably at his best in that I'm not sure that he really sees himself as kind of the traditional football manager. I think he sees himself almost better, you know, he probably doesn't put the state of, you know, so much importance on this, but he's almost like a leader of state in that basically he sort of kind of leads this group of players who are, you know, so talented, so good. It's a rich generation of talent. They're playing at top clubs in, in the Premier League who perform really well in the Champions League. And yes, they should be established on the on the world stage. I don't think you need to kind of coach them that much or manage them that much. I just think you need to kind of get them right, you know, get a togetherness, get a, a dynamic in the dressing room, which works. You can see a you know, real togetherness within the group. I mean, Jordan Henderson was talking the other day about kind of he's been involved in sort of six major tournaments now and that this is the closest knit of all the groups that he's seen. And I think that that is Southgate's sort of kind of greatest quality to bring them together. And I just feel as if, you know, he, he does deserve so much credit. He's broken barriers down each and every time, really. You know, they haven't won a, a penalty shootout in, what, 22 years. Hadn't reached, a, you know, a major tournament final until the Euros last year. You know, took him to a World Cup semi-final. Got the nation to fall back in love with the team again. And I think that that was his greatest achievement. And, you know, they had a wretched run over the summer. But it just feels as if, you know, there's an appreciation there, which hopefully... You know, I think Southgate feels himself, you know, because he deserves it. Um, you, you know, that, that really they are doing ever so well in this tournament and they are back on track. And I think, you know, he deserves that praise because honestly, as you rightly say, six 
six basically six sort of you know tournament knockout wins before that period of time six in uh, under Southgate I mean that's a remarkable achievement it really is and they deserve a hell of a lot of credit because honestly players were afraid to pull on the shirt and and you know before Southgate's reign and he's now made it something that the players want to embrace rather than fear, which which I think is the best tribute you can pay to the manager. It's absolutely, uh, you know, it's 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 a remarkable achievement to be able to to make a cohesive unit out of all those rival clubs and rival players and 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 so forth. I've been really really impressed. Uh, other than like I keep saying, I, I saw this comes comes out of nowhere for me this England performance because I thought that I thought their goose was cooked to be honest. All during twenty twenty two, I've been really impressed with how they've picked it up during this World Cup. How endeavour, Andy. A big obstacle is now standing in the way uh, on Saturday. Uh, I want to just finish up uh, the show talking a little bit about France uh, for people who might not have seen uh, many of their matches uh, or seen them over 90 minutes so far. Um, Can you sum up, Andy, uh, what you've seen so far from this French side, where their strengths lie and maybe where their vulnerabilities are uh, that England maybe can can sort of... um, lock unlock the door uh, against this France team well it's funny because good no, so uh, it, it, it's funny because um um Declan Reiser um, has, has, has done a piece with the, with the newspaper journalist saying that he thinks they have identified weaknesses in the French team I mean I assume he means defensively and I assume he means maybe a fullbacks you know you never know what fullbacks are going to play obviously they've lost one through injury um, so they might be a bit vulnerable there and we won't really know because you know Poland didn't really test them um to any any significant extent. Obviously, their danger lies all over the field. I mean, it's not just Mbappe, but, but clearly he is the absolute, like, you know, the standout player of this tournament. But, you know, Griezmann is playing so well at the moment. Um, Dembele as well. You know, they, they, I, you know Giroud's a threat. They've got, uh, I mean, the, the, the front units, I include the midfield in this, is just lethal. And let's put it this way. If France played like they played in the last half hour against Poland, and England play like they did in the first half hour against Senegal, it'll be all over by half time. But that isn't always the case, is it? That is not always the case. So I so I think, you know, if you look at it and you think, well, actually, you know, let's look at it. And again, just harking back to what Declan Rice said to us after the game last night, you know, if you look at man for man, then there's no, there's not, you wouldn't have a significant difference, Mbappe apart maybe, in the quality individually of the squad. You know, and these players know each other, by the way. These players are playing against each other all the time in the Champions League, in the Premier League. Um, you know, so they know each other. So on that on that sense, they're quite closely matched. My worry, and I think the big issue is, listen, so, so France, we identify France, their weaknesses, I think maybe down the flanks in defence and, and just defensively overall, I think they you probably might be able to get at them. The problem is they're going to have the ball a lot more so because you know, England have, have, have dictated possession in all their games so far. That's not going to happen against France. So that'll be take some getting used to. And now the big dilemma, the dilemma, is, is, is what does Gareth Southgate do to counter the threat of Mbappe, of Griezmann, of Giroud, of Dembele? What does he do? The return of the back three, you think, Andy? Exactly. Well, well does he? I mean, you know, that, 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 is the, that is the absolute dilemma he's got, isn't it? I mean, that, that is, you know, do, 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 a system that, as you've said, Peter, you know, has been working so well, a system that he's used for all four games, essentially, as working well. They've scored 12 goals. They've only conceded two. They've kept three consecutive clean sheets. But they were against Senegal, Wales, and the USA. This is clearly is, 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 an, is an absolute different story. So what does he do? If he does go back to the three, or most of the time it would probably be a five, against France, what does he do? If he does do that, 
then he has to take one out of midfield. And that would have to be, I assume, Jordan Henderson, because, I mean, heaven forbid, you could not drop Jude Bellingham from anything, obviously, could you? So um, um, it's it's a big dilemma, what he does. I I mean, as it happens, I think we'll talk about this as the week goes on, and myself and Jonathan will um, write about it. It's what does he do? I mean, I would probably... I mean, it's an almighty gamble. Imagine if he does go back to five. I mean, it, it, it's and, and and changes a formation, a system. How do you leave Jordan Henderson out? And it, for me, I think that the midfield question is is the fascinating one in this one, Andy, because when I've seen I've seen France play at this World Cup plenty, but I actually think that Griezmann is maybe an attacker, too, although he's playing really well and scoring goals and and you know playing with with quite a bit of freedom in that number ten position. I actually think he's an attacker too many when it's going to come up to the to the bigger games because you have Chiuameni obviously and Rabiot uh, but they're they're kind of in there on their own as a two and then Griezmann sort of plays ahead of them so if England take out a midfielder they're almost playing into France's hands where they're going two against two whereas if they keep the third midfielder in there then they outnumber France because Griezmann is always going to be ahead of the play I mean it's an extremely good point and that is the sort of tactical um, dilemma and the tactical battle that Gareth South is is going to have to is going to have to get to grips with. You know, we're talking about quite rightly, and and, and there's no bigger fan um, of Southgate as England manager than me. Um, you, you know, I mean, I, I, I think now it's you know any discussion is gone. I mean, this isn't this isn't a job for Southgate. This this feels like his vocation is calling. I can't imagine Gareth Southgate as anything other than England manager, prime minister maybe. But that's all. You know, I can't imagine him as Manchester United manager. I can't imagine him as Real Madrid manager. I can only imagine him as England manager. It's like he was born to the job. But this, you know, I mean, it's a tough business and it's brutal. And he's got to get this right against France. I mean, he's won all these knockout games. But let's be brutally honest, he lost the game, he lost the World Cup semi-final against Croatia that he should have won. You know, they were one up and he should have won that game. He didn't react in that game tactically. He probably got it wrong in that game. He might admit that. He lost the game against Italy, you, you know, that they were leading. And that was a knockout game. Okay, it was a final. So if you were being ultra harsh, like we occasionally like to be, on those two big occasions, he got it wrong. And now, listen, he might get it right on Saturday and still get beat because France are that good. But that's what you're saying there is is exactly the type of thing that he's got to get to grips with, with Steve Holland, obviously his trusted lieutenant. And um, and I I mean, I'll be fascinated to see the way he approaches it because it's a massive, massive test for him. And just quickly, I um, I want to come to you, John, just quickly, because uh, throughout this tournament, I've been using 538. It's Nate Silver's website. He does a lot of predictions on there. He actually has England, his algorithm of England down as very slight favourites for this game. 51% chance for England, 49% chance for France. Um, what do you make of England's chances? Um, is it fanciful to say that they're, that they're favourites? Yeah, I think so. Um, look, France, I think, are... Well, they were, I mean, they, I tip them to win it. I think they've got the best player on the planet in, in Kylian Mbappe. Um, I think Griezmann is having the tournament of his life. I mean, anyone that thought he was a spent force, I must say I did, um, basically has been shown you know, how wrong they were, really. Um, Dembele is playing fantastic. Uh, you know, they've really got a very strong um, defence as well. And, you know, I, I do think they are... Favourites, the, the, the reigning champions, World Cup holders. I think they're playing with a confidence and a style that makes them very intimidating. And I do think they are favourites. I do, I do think that, you know, in reality, that, that they should fancy their chances. But I do make England, you know, a team with a chance, really. 
I think that most teams, you know, I, I basically England have got to play at their very best and hope that kind of France don't reach the the level that they're basically they have in recent games because they've just found a fluidity in their attack and, and their sort of kind of understanding, you know, everything is working for them and they've got kind of winning know-how. Um, and, I, you know, they're a very, very strong difficult force I think that, that that awaits but make no mistake about it England England have got a chance in a way that I think in previous tournaments in, in years gone by you think well they just won't overcome that kind of you know world-class team with so many world-class players now they've got a genuine chance of victory I do fancy that France are our favorites but I, you know it would be so wrong to write off England because I just think that England if they can find that right balance that we talked about um, you know, and make sure that they're on their, you know, on their A game defensively in particular and don't get exposed, then I, I really feel that they've got their own weapons to take to France and basically they've got their own, you know, players that can cause so much of a threat. So I do still think that France are the favourites, but I really feel England have, have got, a, you know, a major chance um, to win the game. Look, we've had a very in-depth conversation about what was a great win against Senegal and we will, we do have to leave it there. But everyone listening, listen, can England beat France? Let us know. Will Gareth Southgate be, become the new Prime Minister? Let us know the way things are going. Prime Ministers are changing every few every few months. So let's could see be what Bellingham, happens. Anita. It could be Bellingham next Prime Minister. It could be Bellingham. Bellingham for Prime Minister. <laughs> He'll be the king, will he? Surely the king. <laughs> He already is, Andy. He already is, pal. Better than for King and Gareth Southgate for Prime Minister. But thank you for joining us, Andy and John, all the way from Qatar. We will be back to probably preview this match. I don't know if I'll get in trouble saying that, but hopefully we'll be back to preview the match coming. Yes, we've got the thumbs up from Pete. Hopefully we'll be back to preview the England versus um, France game where we'll go more in depth about what we want to see during that match. So make sure you have your notifications on. Make sure you're following myself, Peter, Andy and John. I'm sure they'll have some amazing articles coming out um, about what happened last night in Qatar and hopefully we get to see you next time. Thank you for joining us. 